welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Nick. And we're here to talk about The Fugitive, starring Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones, Joe Pantoliano, Andreas Catalsis, Jerome Crebe, Daniel Roebuck, Tom Wood, Julianne Moore, Ron Dean, Joseph Casala, Jane Lynch, and Sayla Ward. Directed by Andrew Davis, based on the 1960s television series, released in 1993 on a $44 million budget, grossed $368 million at the box office, was nominated for seven Academy Awards with Joan Win- Jones winning Best Supporting Actor. So that's a big one, Nick. And uh, what I want to know is what your background with this movie is, and did you ever watch the uh, show on reruns? Because I know you weren't around to watch it live. No, I never saw the show on reruns. I knew it existed, but I've never seen it, even though I think there was a reboot of the TV series, I want to say like five, six years ago. I could be wrong, but I, I thought I remember that. But as far as the movie goes... I've only seen it really once before, and it was way back when this came out on VHS. I remember uh, we bought it on VHS because that was when, you know, basically the time. I remember when Batman came out and, like, VHSs were all suddenly now cheaper to buy, and this was one of the first ones that we bought. And it was something where I remember watching it with my parents, like, one Saturday night. And kind of I remember the stuff about the one-armed man and Tommy Lee Jones and outhouse doghouses and uh, him jumping off the uh, sewage uh whatever that was there um but that's basically it i just remember you know i liked it from what i remembered so i thought it'd be kind of a a fun revisit because they really don't seem to make movies like this much anymore these kind of suspense thrillers like we had in the 90s so i thought it'd be kind of a nice uh, throwback yeah they don't make these adult dramas like this anymore this is usually a television series like you say and i mean that's even the origin story of this i remember watching reruns of that with my dad when i was a kid but i didn't pay much attention to it until the advertisements for this movie started coming out and he was like oh you know you really ought to see the the old ones and i think i I saw enough of them to kind of follow the basic story i ended up seeing the finale i know how it ends and i remember going to see this movie with my family in the theaters and i was a teenager at this point so that was a rare thing that we would still do that together but i know i saw it with both of my folks in in the theaters i think my brother may have even gone too and i just remember liking it too i've never owned it on any media but i've seen it on television you know through the years i don't know a hundred times and i think it's hard to not remember some of the big lines from tommy lee jones and you know his his agent gerard and what he does and him and harrison ford together but nick i'll be honest with you it had been gosh, probably 10 years since I had watched it last, like actually sat to try and watch it. I maybe caught pieces or a bit here on television, uh, but I uh, hadn't watched it in full in a while. And you're right. I've forgotten a lot about this movie. I remember the broad strokes, but how it all worked out and what the conspiracy was and the big plot. I just, I just remember Harrison Ford with like the worst, you know, homeless man beard ever. And like these weird shots of poor Sela Ward who just got thrown around a room in black and white. That's all I remembered about this. And, and then of course, Tommy Lee Jones. Yep. A little bit more than I remembered, but uh, we're kind of on the same page there. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it, I'll be honest with you. I've seen U.S. Marshals, the pseudo sequel to this that came out four or five years after this. 
probably more recently than I've seen this, or I know more recently than I've seen this because I went back and tried to rewatch that a few years ago thinking, okay, you know what? This might be a kind of a fun one to do. Let me, let me see if it's worth doing. And I remember having the same problem with it again. It just kind of falls apart in the second and third act and you know, it, it doesn't really hold together, but it's interesting for a setup, but uh, that's U S Marshals. That's another story for another day. Uh, but yeah, this movie, a lot of fun. And, and you know, you and I had this conversation going back to last fall, we went and saw Ford versus Ferrari in the theaters. And we talked about how they don't make big budget adult dramas anymore. I mean, this was made for $44 million in 1993. That's like 80 or 90 million now. And they just don't put that kind of money behind these things. And so before we get into this movie specifically, why is that you think? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I would have to look at the box office throughout the years and see if they were kind of a, kind of a diminishing return, you know, as, as they went on. But I think it's just they end up putting the money into either, you know, the super, big superhero style action films and then those help finance the smaller ones. But uh, these like kind of like medium, you know, style movies seem to have kind of fallen to the wayside. And I think you kind of hit it that a lot of these scripts and everything like this are kind of being more brought to you know tv as far as well we can just make it into a eight-part series or something like that i mean even like uh god it was was that like watchmen on hbo which was you know adult drama you know yes superheroes but it was like oh you know we're just going to turn that into a eight-part series on on tv and you see it even too like even some of these other stuff like uh the one with uh like bates motel um you know what i mean where it's like kind of more of these adult drama stuff where it might you know just seems to be more appropriate for TV nowadays because I think the writers feel like maybe they could probably stretch out the the plot and get a little bit deeper with characters by doing that. Yeah, totally. And I mean, we're going to get into it. There's a lot that they cram into this one. And I mean, again, the origins of this was a four-season television series. There was a lot in those too. And I mean, it was a plot that just you never seemed he was ever going to get a break. You know, I, I liken the old fugitive to the experience of watching something like 24 in the early 2000s that ran through, you know, 2008 or 2009, however long that lasted. It, it just sort of that serialized, like it's always one more thing for our protagonist. Is he ever going to finally get to, you know, the, the big payoff with the one-armed man and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, you finally did, you know, spoiler alert for a, TV show that's been off the air for 60 years now. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, but it's fun. You can go look it up on YouTube. I think it's even out like on prime or something. You can go watch the old shows or if you get TV land or any of that kind of stuff, you can watch it that way. But uh, yeah, it's been a while since I've seen this one, but it was fun to go back and revisit because Harrison Ford in his middle age, I mean, honestly, his career started when he was 33. So that we always think about him as being older. That's because he was, and he is, you know, and, and now you see him in, in this prime of the late 80s through the mid 90s. I mean, he had a heck of a run, man, right up until that, like that second Jack Ryan movie. And then everything kind of, I don't know, it went down a little bit. And then he's been here and there. And then, of course, Star Wars, he you know came back and, and did those things. But uh, yeah, there was, a, there was a time there, man, where Harrison Ford was your was a go-to action lead, which is not what you think of when you think of him. Yeah, he's he's still, though, he's always got that grumpiness to him, and he plays it pretty well in this movie where, uh, you know, I think really the only thing that, you know, I, I remember him in that, you know, that he really wasn't playing the grumpy guy was probably Indiana Jones. I mean, even Han Solo to some regard was kind of the, uh, you know, especially later he got got a little bit more grumpy, but that seems to be kind of his calling, especially now with, like, his later movies is, like, you know, just kind of being this, no nonsense kind of pissed off guy um some of these other movies i've seen them too like you know mosquito coast i don't know if you've ever seen that or yeah. um uh some of the other what was that one that he did with uh michelle was it michelle pfeiffer um what lies beneath yeah what, what lies beneath yeah, yeah 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 stuff like that where he kind of always plays uh 
seems like kind of the intellect, but kind of the gruff intellect in a way. Yeah, I mean, I think of movies like, you know, ones where he maybe he even missed uh, a little bit, like Regarding Henry, which is not really a great film, but he plays this really smart guy who goes through a traumatic injury and has to get over it. Presumed Innocent is kind of a personal favorite of mine. It's not a great movie, but it's a good kind of B-legal thriller. Same mm-hmm. sort of time period as this. If you haven't seen it, the book's really great that it's based on, and they're pretty faithful to it uh, in the film, too. And it's a Scott Turow story. So it, it He's got a, a niche and he works. And then you've got Tommy Lee Jones, who at this point, I think I knew him best as being Doolittle Lynn from Coal Miner's Daughter. And then a bunch of like really small little roles uh, where he always played somebody interesting or doing something. But this was his major breakout to make him a bankable star. And I mean, up and through today, I mean, he's still a big bankable star, but this made him somebody you could trust to lead an action franchise. I mean, no doubt. 10, 15 years later, he got men in black and you can see a lot of Gerard in, in you know, agent K. Oh yeah, totally. Even uh, no country for old men. I mean, yeah. he's basically playing the, the different versions or different, uh, you know, different uh, volumes of the same character. You know, let's talk about Harrison Ford being kind of the, uh, the, the smart grumpy guy, you know, Tommy Lee Jones can, you know, he's always playing the, uh, you know, the dead, you know, deathly overly serious where it's almost kind of funny guy. Yeah, or he's super cocky and just doesn't care what anybody thinks, which is a lot of Gerard. Like, I remember Space Cowboys, which is by no means a great film. Uh, but it's funny to watch him and Clint Eastwood and Donald Sutherland and all these you know, old men. Uh, I think uh, uh, the original Maverick, what's his name? James Garner, you know, running around like they're going to be astronauts again or something. I mean, that's, there's some, some fun to be had in Tommy Lee Jones, and he certainly has a presence and a charisma on screen. But in 1993... What's amazing about this is, yeah, there's a lot of money behind this movie and it was a big franchise. We're going to take this beloved series and now we're going to update it 25 years later. So anybody that's fussing about the way Hollywood recycles stuff now, they've been doing it forever, folks. Sorry, this is nothing new. And <laughs> this was a big deal, but it wasn't the kind of movie that you thought like, oh yeah, we know we're making this big movie. Nobody involved with this. They thought, that, okay, we're just doing a job and then we'll just go do another one. And like, it was no big deal to them. They, there was no hype for this at all and then it came out and again the box office was massive for this thing 300 uh, million for a movie like this is unbelievable yep well it's even after that even got the uh, nice little simpson parodies i remember even like really two funny <laughs> two moments in the simpsons where uh, homer was arrested and then uh they're trying to get him in through a drive-thru and the the um the cop car is trying to go through a drive through real quick, but it's too tall, so they're leaning it over, and it ends up falling over, and he ends up getting out, and the old man pushes it, so it's like the train scene where he's like, you know, all handcuffed, kind of yeah. doing that. And there's even one where Millhouse jumps out of the um, <laughs> jumps out of the sewer thing, just like uh, Harrison Ford did in here. So I think once you make The Simpsons like that, especially in the '90s, you know, you, you know, your movie is a part of pop pop culture. Oh yeah, completely. I mean, people have, have parodied the I don't care line and stuff for years and we, we can get more into that as we go, but I guess it's time to give a quick plot summary. Cause I mean, again, this movie is a little bit older I and mean, at this point it's 27 years old. So there's a good chance some of our audience has never experienced it. Renowned Chicago surgeon, Dr. Richard Kimball, played by Harrison Ford, is convicted of the brutal murder of his wife, all the while claiming it was a one-armed man who did it and that he was framed. And after the bus carrying Kimball and others to prison crashes, he escapes and goes to extreme lengths to prove his innocence. 
On his trail is Deputy U.S. Marshal Sam Gerard, played by Tommy Lee Jones, along with his team of agents. And through his research, Kimball not only finds the one-armed man, a dirty former police officer named Sykes, who specializes in security for a powerful pharmaceutical firm now, but he also learns that his friend, Dr. Charles Nichols, was the one who orchestrated the murder of his wife, as well as uh, the death of a pharmaceutical executive. As Kimball makes these discoveries, he leaves clues for Gerard and his team uh, to find so that they can begin to realize he was indeed innocent all along. Nichols falsified lab samples from Kimball and others in order to fast track an experimental drug to the market, which makes Nichols even more richer. So Kimball gets into a fight with Sykes and subdues him on a subway. And then Kimball confronts Nichols at a medical conference while Gerard, the agents, and the whole Chicago PD swarm the place. Kimball and Nichols fight all over the hotel. They fight through a skylight. Uh, they eventually, you know, make it to the laundry facility. And Nichols is about to shoot Gerard, but Kimball gets the drop on him and knocks him out and then surrenders himself to Gerard, who subsequently... Uh, gives him an escorted ride away and uncuffs him as credits roll. And that's the quick plot summary. And the thing I want to talk about right from the jump here, Nick, is how much they cram in the first 10 minutes of this movie. We, we intro Kimball, Nichols, others, the wife's murders cut in between all of it, his arrest, the one-armed man, the cops investigating his trial and conviction. That all happens before the credits are done. Very Shawshank Redemption is what I felt like. Is like mm. you got the whole, you know, set up completely done right away with the murder, you know, kind of what he was doing during the time and then fast track the trial, which was nice. I think, uh, you know, trial movies, you know, especially I think towards the late nineties, early two thousands were all the rage. And I'm just kind of glad that we didn't get a whole like 15, 20 minute trial scene where it's just like, let's just get him on the death sentence here. So that way we can just get on with the plot. Cause I could totally have seen that where, you know, they try to like drop some of these nuggets of who could have done this during the trial. But, um, I'm glad that they didn't go that way and we got right to kind of the, you know, the meat and potatoes of the movie. Yeah. I mean, it's a script that, you know, a lot of different people worked on and the way it's structured and the way the director puts this thing together with the editor is smart because in the TV show, this kind of all unfolded throughout the history of the show. When you, you start that show, Kimball's been on the run for six months. And so you're kind of catching up on the back end of it. It gets told in flashbacks and stuff. And we get that a little bit here, but it's a way to sort of short leash the audience into, okay, here's what you need to know. And this movie is not called the doctor prisoner. It's called the fugitive. So we need to get him on the run as soon as possible. And that's really smart economical filmmaking. And what I'm impressed with is how much information they cram into that 10 minutes and it doesn't feel overwhelming. Like the thing about Harrison Ford in this movie that I, I really just enjoyed this time was how subtle he portrays all of this. Cause this is happening and there's times when he's kind of shaking and losing it, but at no point do you feel like he is out of control. And that's a real neat, subtle performance. Totally. And I think it kind of, I think they betray it that way because he, he is a doctor, you know, he is some guy that, you know, probably sees, you know, pretty terrible things day in and day out, but you know, and, hits him you know emotionally and everything like that but he's got to stay in control because other people's lives depend on him being in control and this time it's his life that he's got to save you know by staying in control and i i like the whole you know even when they're they got the two cops who are kind of kind of dirt bags throughout the movie are interrogating him and you know he's starting to figure out like towards the end of the interrogation like you guys are thinking i'm doing this and his whole like panic and everything like that i thought was really well portrayed especially when you kind of see it in his eyes as soon as he realizes it's like 
you're, you're talking about life insurance and it just all suddenly is just like, you're, you're thinking I'm killing her. I thought it was, you know, I, I'm usually one that kind of says Harrison Ford's not a very good actor, but I think, you know, especially in the beginning of this movie, I thought he did a very, very good job trying to, you know, portray a guy who's broken, shocked, and then trying to figure out kind of what these cops are doing to him at the same time. Yeah, the thing it reminded me of was a more modern performance, but I realize now Ben Affleck, maybe even unknowingly, was taking cues from this in his role in Gone Girl when he's being interrogated by the cops and they're just asking him simple questions and you call the cops dirtbags. It's just because they kind of come off that way. They're just doing their jobs. Like that's, they're just, they're following what is in front of them. And what I find is neat though, is they're not trying to trick him. They just ask him like, well, okay. So what did the one armed man look like? How tall was he doctor? What did you know, these kind of details and they, and they realize like they're breaking him down because not uncommon if you listen to a lot of true crime podcasts like we do the cops get a scent on somebody and they they don't let that stuff go man they, they will run with that forever and i liked the way that that played back and forth well i call them dirtbags because later in the movie when they're talking to uh tommy lee jones's character and they bring up the whole motivation of all oh, she's rich and she's got a lot of money and tommy lee jones says what everybody else is saying it's like he's a freaking doctor he's already rich and then yeah. they go well she's she's richer and it's like okay, you guys, you guys are, that's what the motivation you guys are looking for is the fact that she was richer. <laughs> that's what I'm, that's what I mean though. It's like, you guys got set on this whole, like basically motive here that really doesn't hold water when you think about it. But yeah, it's just even, even towards the end too, when they're, you know, being questioned by like some of the press and stuff like that, even some of like their answers and everything where they're like, what about the one armed man? And it goes, Richard Kimball's still the one that killed them. It's like, you know, guys are still being jerks in the end even with even when everybody knows that the you know that the uh, real killer has been caught here that's just my opinion well no you're right and that is how they play it and we got to remember too this is the early 90s this is before dna testing was a thing that local police departments could do it all right even in a city like chicago so like nowadays like you look at this crime scene and you're like well like kimball's gonna be exonerated inside of like an hour because they'll realize real quick there's no way he did this like it doesn't match up Mm -hmm. at all right but there's very little physical evidence i mean yes she scratches him because he's trying to carry her that's totally reasonable yes you know and by the way he also had like these unbelievable alibis so it doesn't make any sense like they could figure this out also the fact that you know ultimately we find out Nichols is the one that makes the call from his car phone that kind of sets up the whole kill with the one-armed man and all this like they would have figured that out real quick like fingerprinting like I know we had fingerprinting back then but they didn't even bother with it like this case wouldn't work today but you have to look at it through the lens of 1992 basically when this was made and yeah I could totally see these guys making this case uh, because you know the one thing you know about homicide cops at least in movies and I'm only talking about the movie ones their job is to do what make an arrest and get a conviction or give a, give enough evidence to the DA to make a conviction. And they figure that out. I mean, it takes, we see six months of, of life happen in you know, 10 minutes here, but they do enough to convince not only that he did it, but like, man, the judge goes off on him. I mean, it's like hanging judge style when he sentences him to death. It's crazy. Yeah. They should have just had a Herman Munster from my cousin Vinny. <laughs> <laughs> the way he was acting. <laughs> yeah, that would have been great, right? But I mean, we, they want to get to it is the point. And, and 
that's what I'm impressed with is how much we jam into those first 10 minutes. And then, man, this movie takes off like a shot. Uh, this whole bus transfer crash and uh, you got the jump to conclusions, Matt guy from uh, office space as the, as the guard. And when the crash goes down, like Kimball saves a lot of people before he finally jumps off of the thing and that train hits. And I know that's a kind of a dated CGI look now, but I think the whole action set piece here looks really good. I mean, that's a one take deal. They didn't get to do it twice. Yeah, no, it's definitely is. I enjoy the use of practical effects and everything like that. And uh, it's, it's, it's a well shot scene. I mean, Richard Kimball's damn lucky that this happened during his convoy back to back to, you know, <laughs> the prison and everything like that. But you know what? You got to give the movie its setup. You know, he's got to get out somehow. And the, what's the other way that he's the one that breaks out and kills the guys. Then you're not going to be on his side. So it's like, you got to have the, you know, the scumbag prisoners kill the jerk, you know, security guys. That way everybody kind of still feels good about it. And then he gets away. <laughs> Right, and you even know the one prisoner that really starts the whole thing going sideways because he starts choking and acting like he's going to you know, seize up and then he does it to, to stab a guard because he's going down, might as well take some with him. And I w- was watching this going like, oh, so this is how they do the setup for Con Air too. It's almost the same way, just no John Malkovich and uh, you know, Leonard Skinner music. Oh yeah. And it's, and it's been, I mean, that's been done and done probably even before this and even done after. I mean, my God, they did it on game of Thrones too. And uh, Jamie Lannister got out of his cell. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. bringing the guys down because someone's getting injured or someone's dying and then, you know, get the guy with his back turned. So it's uh, you know, something that, you know, it's, it's kind of cliched and stuff like that, but again, it works because it gets, it gets the plot going and you know, it's like, they want to be able to set up, they want something to sell the movie too. I mean, I remember even seeing trailers for this and the whole thing with him being handcuffed, running away from the train coming directly at him. I mean, that was kind of one of like the endpoints of the trailer was like, you got to see how this ends. So it's, it's definitely well done. And it's a, you know, I think it makes sense as far as the plot goes for the movie. Oh yeah, totally. It's a lot of fun. And I love the little subtle bit here where the guard throws the keys at Kendall to uncuff himself and to help himself. And he's like, you got to help me, you know, get this guard out. And the other guards like, screw you. But in the midst of it, Harrison Ford kind of swings around and acts like he drops the keys, but he really throws them to his fellow prisoner. You know, mm-hmm. and Copeland is the guy's name. We only see him in one more scene. And I, I love that, though, that it's like they kind of exchange a look, and he's like, you better grab this before he notices. And I'm like, man, Kimball, Kimball's also not above uh, giving people another chance if he sees the, the opportunity there. And maybe it was because he knew the guy would die on the train otherwise. But uh, they do meet up uh, later on and kind of nod ways and, and go their other ways. So all of that goes down, though. Again, we're 15, 20 minutes into this movie, and we've had our big action set piece. We've had our setup. Mm-hmm. And we enter in the guy that, I mean, look, the Academy agreed, and I, I agree, too, totally steals this movie. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones, not only with his dialogue, which I understand a lot of it was him improvising and and things like that, but the way he commands his team, but doesn't like overlord around them. They all work together in unison. It's really impressive. The character actors they surround him with, and you totally buy that these people are U S Marshals when they arrive on the scene and and take over. Yeah. Maybe minus the guy with the ponytail, but um, (laughs) it's, you know, to- totally early 90s guy you know what i mean he probably has a you know you visit his home he's probably got black silk bed sheets and everything too kind of yeah, like they, the, you know uh, they make they make fun of that though like later they call it out like don't let anybody give you crap about that he reminds, <laughs> he, he reminds me of the next door neighbor christmas vacations so. yeah yes uh todd and margo yes yes yep. totally yeah but you know noah's a funny fun character because he's the kid of the group. And then you've got all the other more seasoned agents and we see them get to do other stuff. But what I like here is how 
they don't do anything to set this up. Gerard walks in the scene, flashes that badge, starts talking, and immediately takes over everything and just commands the whole bit. And I, I love the way he takes over. Tommy Lee Jones has a presence when he's commanding a crowd of people. It's something directors have figured out, just put him around people and let him do this stuff. And he's really good at it. I mean, and how many times have you seen the I want every doghouse outhouse line ripped off by something? Oh yeah, totally. But what it kind of reminds me of is uh, Die Hard. Is you know when when everybody starts getting there on Die Hard, you know you got uh, the uh, principal from Ferris Bueller, not Ferris Bueller from The Breakfast Club, and just it kind of gives everybody out there, you know, kind of their own little shtick. You know what I mean? It's like Joey Pants has kind of got his own thing. The guy with the ponytail, he's got the ponytail. So they're giving everybody either like a characteristic look or just some type of personality that's just different enough so that you remember them. So it does feel like a season crew. And, you know, I think just even with the way Tommy Lee Jones, the way his character there presents himself, it comes off very realistic that, you know, this guy is, you know, the seasoned vet, you know what I mean? He's got no time for bullshit. He's just going to be the guy who's going to come in. He's going to speak his mind. You know, you don't may not like what I'm saying, agree with me, whatever, you know what I mean? But I'm right. And you're going to fall in line with me. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great character, especially the whole setup with him in the beginning when he's, you know, giving them all the directions and just how you can just tell the way everybody pays attention to him that it's like, okay, he, he demands some type of respect and there's a reason for it. Yeah, I mean, he's proven right very quickly because the sheriff has just wrapped this whole thing up on the press conference. And he's like, well, how'd he get out of these chains? And sheriff, oh my, maybe we do need to do some roadblocks. You know, and he just takes over the whole bit and mm -hmm. it starts giving all those orders and sending people around. And then the manhunt is on. And that's what's really cool about this is, again, we're in the first act of the movie and the manhunt's happening. And yeah. that all culminates with the bit that you know, Kimball goes to that little clinic. And I love how precise he is with this. Luckily he picks like the right size guy laying in the bed, starts stealing these, this poor old man's clothes, you know, eats his breakfast, which is hospital breakfast. That was a good looking hospital breakfast, by the way, they're not like any hospital I've ever was in, but he, <laughs> but he walks out in front of the police cause he shaved his face off and they bring in the guard that he saved who was stabbed. And before the guy can identify him, he puts the oxygen mask back on his face. He says, Oh, he's got a puncture in the abdomen. And they're like, how do you know that? And he just takes off of the ambulance. But I love how this movie is not dumb where in some movies, like he would get away and then be gone and it would be like three days later. Oh, maybe that was Dr. Kimball. They figure that out inside of like five minutes the way they would, because that guard rips that mask off and they get inside and go, that's Kimball. And then they, you know, they, they get the word to Gerard. And I love the chase that ends in the, uh, the sewer tunnel there uh, or the, the uh, water tunnel. And he takes down through the sewers and gets to the spillway. And as a guy who grew up near a dam and no spillways a little bit, I always loved watching this scene because I, I could imagine like if somebody tried to do that off of Wilson Dam, how would it work? And for years, Nick, I banged this movie for like the most unbelievable. There's no way this guy taking a header off this would survive. But if you watch it, there's a, there's a specific way they shoot that stunt man doing it where he lands in the spillway wash. And then that takes him underneath. Now granted, there's still low chances of survival, but it wasn't like he took a Greg Luganis off of the thing. Yeah. Well, hasn't there been people that survived like going over Niagara or something like that? Like some guy put yeah. himself like in a, in a, in a, you know, whiskey barrel and went over and survived. So I mean, and then that's also a thing too. I mean, my God, how many movies have we seen like, you know, where people are going over waterfalls or even like through like whitewater rapids that would totally break your neck and yet they survive. So, you know, it's something where it's, again, we, you got, it's another big, big action scene. And that's one thing that's kind of cool. What I like about this movie though, is like, it's, 
got these key moments that you remember. It's got the, you know, the train scene and then it's got this water scene and everything or this jump scene. And God, it's, it's almost like, you know, I'm not going to say like James Bond or something like that, but that's one thing you remember when you watch James Bonds is you remember those kind of those big action scenes that are memorable because of the stunt work. And it's almost kind of doing that same type of philosophy with this movie where it's got so much investigation and everything, which could get really, really boring, but they're smart enough to be able to add these scenes that are kind of, you know, you know, kind of smartly added to the movie that feel natural to the, to the story, but then also make it, make it somewhat exciting. Yeah, I mean, and what happens in this movie, which is a real neat turn, is all the action movie part of this is really in this first act. And once he plunges off of that dam and they have to go chasing you know, for him after that, then it becomes a detective story and a legal thriller for the second act before we get to the big third act climax. And really, the, the next hour or so of the movie is a lot of cat and mouse stuff. And there, there's tons of it here. And that's a really neat way to transition the movie because we thought, okay, we're going to get this big action movie. He's jumping off of trains or jumping off of buses, getting hit by trains and he's jumping off of dams and all this stuff. But the movie is telegraphing and telling you that, no, this movie's about something more. And it's all set up in the way that Gerard and him have that interaction right before he takes the, the jump off of there mm-hmm. is Gerard falls down, drops his gun and Kimball gets it up and you can tell he doesn't know what to do with it. He doesn't know what to do with the gun. And Gerard's looking at him like, you need to put that down. And he gives him the whole, I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. Because guess what? That's not his job. It's I'm just here to bring you back. That is what I do. I don't have any other agendas here. You tell that story to somebody else. And then he, you know he's able to get the, the drop on him before Kimball surprises him and jumps off. And I think mm-hmm. there's some, some neat stuff Tommy Lee Jones does when he's talking about what happens. He's telling the rest of his team. And you can see it kind of in his face that it, in some way he kind of admires the ballsiness it took to take a header like that and try to survive. Well, I also think what that does is it starts setting up doubt in that guy's character because why wouldn't he just kill me? You know what I mean? Why wouldn't he, you know, he had a chance to kill me. He could have killed me and got out of there a heck of a lot easier, but he'd rather have risked his own life to get away and not even harm me. You know what I mean? It's like he's already on death row. So who cares? He kills him. What are they going to do? Shock his dead body again? I mean, there's no, he could totally just kill the guy with no whatever. But I think what that does is it kind of sets his character up to being like, okay, even though I'm here to catch this guy, I'm starting to have some doubts here because why didn't he just kill me and just walk over my dead body? Why did he risk his own life to get away without harming me? Why would he even tell me that? So, yeah, it's, like, it's like what Al Pacino says in Heat. You know, once it becomes a murder one beef rap for all of them, you kill everybody else because what difference does it make at that point? This guy's already, you're right, convicted of murder. He's going to death row. So what's the difference? He's already got half the cops chasing him anyway. If he shoots an agent, who cares? But he doesn't. And I think you pointed out great that it does plant that little seed of doubt before Gerard goes back. And, you know, their search comes up empty. And what I like next is that we get this great detail. And again, this is the kind of thing that a movie nowadays just wouldn't take the time to do. They totally go and work another case. Like you can tell they've got multiple things going at once and they get a hot tip on a guy they've been after. And so they drop the Kimball thing and what do they do? They go and raid the, the house in the ghetto uh, where they have a little mm-hmm. shootout and stuff. And yep. I know part of that is to show like how fearless Gerard is and that I don't bargain and that whole bit. But I just think it's neat that we actually get to see them work a different case while we're watching Kimball do all this stuff at the hospital. Yeah, no, totally. I think it's, and plus they had to close the thread with that guy just to be able to show what really happened with him. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that kind of detail is, again, though, it's unique. It's it's different to let people go on with their lives because we don't really know, I don't think, how much time passes here, a couple of months mm-hmm. maybe or something. I mean, it's not too terribly long, but there's times where they're having conversations and they're like, we don't know where he is. We don't know this. You know, Kimball gets back to town. He calls his lawyer and asks him for money. And the lawyer's like, you know, you turn yourself in. Of course, that gets it's recorded. It goes to the FBI. And what I love here is is the U.S. Marshal Service has like the most sophisticated reel-to-reel technology. So that's kind of neat. I think they ripped that off in a Saw movie somewhere years later, too. I don't know how realistic that is even for today, much less back then. But it's neat it's- to watch them kind of work. Yeah, it's like one of those things too. I mean, if you ever work with photography or you know any type of like graphics program where you have like someone where it's like, ooh, bring that up, and now you know what I mean, like a picture, and it's like, okay, you know what I mean. Did you know where they make it more clear? Okay, bring yeah. it in even more, and then make it clearer. It's like uh, pixels are pixels. You know what I mean? You can't really <laughs> make them more clear, or you know, I forget what they call it in movies. So it's it's kind of like that. Again, it's one of those things where you're they're trying to get them from point A to point B to point C. And sometimes, you know, you gotta, gotta add in a little bit of disbelief in there. But then again, too, I mean, like 90% of like the, when they're watching this, like 90% of the audience isn't really going to know, you know what I mean? The whole thing is going to be the whole additive. Like we put a man on the moon. Of course we can do that. You know what I mean? Why can't we isolate sounds? So it's just one of those things where to get them from point A to point B to point C, I, I go with it. I think it also is supposed to show that these guys are not just bumbling idiots. They are the best. They're really good at what they do. And it's not just one guy. It's not just Gerard. It's his whole team. And then these other people that you don't even know their names, but they're over there doing stuff and they're talking and they're working through and you're watching him logically deduce and figure all this stuff out. That's the neat part. And it's juxtaposed to watching Kimball operate his way into the hospital. Because what, what a neat idea. He goes not only back to town where he's from, but he goes back to the clinics that he's worked in because he knows how to infiltrate him. He steals the janitor's badge, makes a fake of it, so he can get in and out, even though everybody knows Jose, and that's not Jose. He's a foot taller, but whatever. And he can just, Because nobody notices the janitor, right? They just go in, come and go, and do whatever they want. And you watch him working through the whole computers and trying to find a one-armed man and trying to find one that meets the description I'm looking for and all of that. You're watching two experts work and one of them is a solo expert and one of them is a group of experts, but it's, it's the act two of experts is what we get. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I, that's, that's one thing I like is kind of like you're saying, kind of the back and forth between it. It's, it's, it's well done because you're kind of seeing them both do their own little investigations here. And one thing I do like though, is like every time uh, Richard goes and does something, he's also leaving them clues of why Mm -hmm. he was there or that he was there. It wasn't all done in secret. He's basically trying to figure this out and trying to basically tell the U S marshals why he's trying to figure this out at the same time because he knows that you know what he figures this out and he goes and catches whoever's doing it it doesn't mean anything unless the authorities know exactly and he already knows the cops are never going to believe him but he's made this connection with gerard he's like well i spared him and he's got to know i could have killed him but i didn't for a reason so if i keep leaving him breadcrumbs this guy's going to figure it out and i mean he ultimately calls him we'll talk about that when we get there but i do think it's neat how kimball does this but on the other hand he also does some stupid stuff that he can't help 
himself, like when they have the bus crash with all the kids come in, right? There's a lot of bus crashes in this town, by the way. We've got to get better bus safety. But uh, it's, Chica- it's Chicago. It's <laughs> Chicago. I mean, I, I'm not joking. I mean, so I, I drive through Chicago quite a bit, um, especially when I'm going home to up in Milwaukee. And that's one thing they have is they got their uh, message boards above the freeway and they give exact, they give real life statistics of all the crashes. And it's, it's crazy how many crashes. I think I was there in like January and there was already a hundred crashes on the interstate there. Holy cow, holy. They bring in all these kids and there's the one kid on the gurney that like can't breathe and is, you know, laboring or whatever. And the one doctor kind of half ignores the x-ray and doesn't really pay any attention and they move on. And Julianne Moore, who only gets two scenes in this, this is kind of an early God. for her. Oh, I like her. I, but we'll come back to that another time. But I, I like her, and I like her in, in this kind of thing where she's a good supporting role. And I buy her as the bossy kind of young doctor down there, the ER doc. And she's like, hey, you, you need to move this kid for me, whatever. And then you know, she sees him like looking at the x-rays and do this. And then I love how he changes the orders. And then when it comes for the doctor's signature, it's just the, I'm just going to scribble. Nobody's going to care. And then they don't. He takes him right up to surgery. And I was like, that's a good doctor joke. I appreciated that. Oh yeah. You ever, you ever see a prescription? I mean, oh, that's yeah. one thing. My, my, yeah. my, my wife, my wife works in pharmaceuticals and I always joke with her all the time. I'm like, how the hell can you even read any of that writing? And she tells me there's, there's actually been classes for like pharmacists to be able to read writing like that because wow. some of it is so illegible because doctors, I mean, they are, they're, they're moving fast and they got to go somewhere and they just scribble stuff down. And it's like, they just got to be able to read bad handwriting, but it is, it is a joke. I mean, God, I remember even as a kid getting like prescriptions or something and kind of laughing at it with my mom as he take the little, uh, you know, essentially the white post-it note that the doctors have to the pharmacy and just being like, I'm kind of worried here. What if they give me the wrong medicine? Cause I have no idea what this reads, but sure enough, yeah. they know how to. So, but um, yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing though. Is, I mean, throughout this whole movie is they're, they're trying to keep you on his side. I mean, even though you're on his side, no matter what, they're trying to show you, it's like, this guy is a good guy. You know what I mean? Even when he's fighting for his life and, you know, trying to figure out who the one arm man is and all this stuff that it's like, he still has time for like, you know, a kid with a broken sternum or whatever was wrong with him to be able to help save his life. So it's like, it makes it even more on his side throughout the whole movie. And he, he does it throughout. I mean, he's always like, he's got to do that one good deed every place he goes to just to be able to show what a good guy he is. Yeah, Jack, I'm surprised he didn't call in the tip on the drug dealing Russian son or whatever it was at the, the flop house he's staying in uh, that kind of gives us a little scare early on. The thing I appreciate about this, though, is that like we've talked about with the experts that work with Gerard and even Julianne Moore, which this is kind of a nothing character. It really, it's, She gets two scenes, but she's not an idiot. Like she realizes, wait a second you know, what happened to that kid? He's not in my, you know, there's not in the, in the charge records. And she finds out he went to surgery. Who, who changed his orders? You know, how did that happen? And then she finally runs him down. And it's like, you, uh, you like reading x-rays, do you? And she's just questioning him. And he's like, whatever lady, I'm just going to move on. And Harrison Ford is just trying to be so wooden right here, which is very natural for him. And I yeah. love how Julianne Moore's like, no, stop. And she rips that badge off of him and she starts going up, you know, call security. And he just hightails it out of there. But I, I appreciate the fact that she's not an idiot and doesn't get duped along this. So by the time Gerard catches up to her, she's like, you know, look, I did everything I could. What you want me to do, tackle the guy? And I love her last line. It's like, well, you did save the kid's life, you know. So eh, it, I don't know. It's, it's kind of neat to see how Kimball is able to get these people to help him. And that's the thing that that happens on the show. And it happens throughout the movie too, is that he bumps into people from his life. Normally that's the thing you don't want to do when you're in hiding is bump into people. When he bumps into Nichols, 
you know, and tries to hit him up for a little cash and he gets some. And w- we don't find out till the end that Nichols is the bad guy. And I mean, maybe you kind of see it coming because he's sort of stereotypical. But for a while, we're to think he's pretty honest because when the agents ask him about it, he's like, okay, I saw him this morning. He hit me up for some cash on the street. And I gave him what I had and he, he moved on. Uh, you know, the, the ultimate bad guy figures out real quick, like, you know what? I don't have to lie to everybody. I can just tell a little bit of the truth and it'll get me by. I appreciate yeah. how smart everybody in this movie is. Yeah, it's like it's kind of that age-old thing where it's like, um, you know, as long as you know you, you tell them a little bit of a truth or something like that, you know, you're not lying. You know what I mean? You're just not telling them the whole truth, you know? So Yeah, well, every lie has a grain line. of truth to it, right? That's the point. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, that, that's the one thing too, is the movie's almost, it, it's, it's clever in its way because they even bring it up during the movie is like, why is a guy in hiding going to places where there's tons of cops going to places where there's people that are going to possibly recognize them. And, you know, they can just sit there and kind of work it into his whole motivation is like, well, he needs to one to be able to find out who did this, but also it's just going to help lead to more questions about why he's doing this. Like a guilty man, why would he be putting himself there at risk? Something you would normally question in a movie like that. It'd be like, you know, why, why is the, you know, the, the big breasted uh, babysitter running upstairs? You know what I mean? Instead of running out the front door. It's, a, it's like something like that where it's like, it's, it's so much plot driven, but it's also adds a lot more suspense to it at the same time. Yeah, it does. And it also, again, allows you to know there are a lot of people that believe Richard Kimball and have believed him the whole time. Jane Lynch's character, which is coming an early role for somebody that now you see in a lot of oh, stuff. Oh, she but. is almost unrecognized. I mean, she's yeah. recognizable, but I, I watch and I heard her voice and I'm like, that looks just like her. That just sounds like her. But I watched the entire credits until her name came up and I'm like, yep, I knew it. But it's yeah. like, even though it all made sense that it was her, I still was like, is that her? It just doesn't look like her, but I mean, you can't, you're talking about 27, almost 30 years of work. You it changed since, but she's still tall. Got that same short blonde hair, got that same voice and a little bit of that sarcasm. But in this one, she's playing the straight. She's, she's a lab person, you know, and she's worked with Kimball. She's a researcher. And that's part of the whole unraveling of this is, and this is what I think is amazing is that Charles Nichols is so smart. He thinks he can outsmart this whole bit and get away with all this, but he makes one mistake. When Kimball calls him again, he says, I need you to talk to our, you know, lab guy down in, in the basement there, the, um, uh, the black guy that they call Bones or whatever, and let him get some samples or whatever. And Nichols has got to know if he gets his hands on those, he's going to figure out what happens. Uh, but he mistakes like, ah, eh, he'll never figure it out. And he doesn't account on Jane Lynch being like the big piece going like, no, these are not the same, you know, from the same place. They're all the same person. And they're the, they're a healthy liver. They're not the right liver for this drug test that they're doing. All that unravels in front of him because Nichols doesn't think Kimball's smart enough to figure it out. Even though he says he's smarter earlier in the movie. Yeah, I think it was just more or less is that, you know, we're seeing throughout the movie of the steps that he's willing to take to try to figure this out. And I don't think it's necessarily that he doesn't think he's that smart or he is that smart. It's just that I don't think he's known about how many, how, how the dra- the drastic tests or the steps that he's taken. So I think it's kind of just like, okay, whatever. And, you know, then he ends up taking them there and kind of being able to put it all together with the lab samples. So it, it's just, you know, it just, again, shows a perseverance of his character. Yeah. And I mean, I think Nichols may also be biting on the fact that if Richard keeps hanging around hospitals, he's going to get arrested again. So this is not going to be a problem. And even that though. Himself. And even that, though, too, I think his whole thing is like, and so what? What's he going to prove here? That there was a increase in liver enzymes because of this medication? Okay. 
You know what I mean? It's like or, or that, I'm it not didn't, gonna... that it didn't do anything. Like that's the whole bit is that this drug gets fast tracked because there's a little subversive, you know, shot at the pharmaceutical industry here and the hoary relationship they have with you know medicine and doctors is that hey, we'll pay you a lot of money if you'll fast track these results for us so we can get this sucker on the market and they have a name for the drug, Provasic or what I think Harrison Ford throws that out there at that medical conference. And I love how that's kind of the underlying part of all of this is that Nichols has got a lot of stock in this. So if it blows up, he's even richer, you know, and, and, you know, more renowned and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, that's one thing powerful people don't want less power. They, they tend to want more. And that's the, the rule here. And especially the, you know, mustache twirling villain that Jerome Crabbe becomes at the end of this movie. Yeah, and I'll say something controversial too, but I'll stand by it is that, you know, my family's very much has a lot of people in the medical fields. And that's always one thing that has always been consistent with pretty much everybody's opinion is that a good number of doctors are egotistical and they have to be. But I think that's the whole thing is like, it comes off like this with this guy where it's like, of course he wants his name out there. You know what I mean? It's like, he wants to be something even more than what he is, you know, it's so it goes with the territory. Yeah, versus a guy like Kimball, who he admits is smarter than him, but is also like way not. I wouldn't call Kimball humble as much as I just call him so nerdy that he doesn't really know how to, you know, blow his own horn. He's not putting himself over in front of anybody. He just kind of yeah. does what he does, and he's just all about his wife and all this stuff, and you know, whatever. That that's what it's about. I love how the Kimball, when he finally figures out who the one arm man is, Sykes. This, I mean, what a. What a cool character and great character actor. Andreas uh, Katsoulis is just one of those guys that plays a heavy in a lot of movies that you've seen. And he is perfect in this role. And I love how Kimball goes to his apartment, breaks in, starts laying stuff out, and then calls Gerard from the apartment and tells him, oh, I'm leaving you a big clue. And he leaves the phone off the hook. So they make sure the trace goes through. He can get him. And, and I love how Gerard plays it off when the guy comes back. He's like, why would this guy break into your apartment? You know, da, da, da. And, I, and when he walks out of there, the first thing he says to Joey Pants is like, man, this guy is dirty. This guy is so dirty. And you know it just by looking at him. Oh, yeah. He's got that look on his face. Scott, you know, even speaking of like, you know, James Bond, I don't know if you ever seen, you know, Casino Royale, the the oh, first yeah. bad guy that he played that he won the Austin Martin off, Austin Martin off of. It's like, he's got the same look. He's got that. You don't yeah, ever Mattis. trust a guy with, yeah. yep. You don't ever trust a guy with dark eyes like that and curly hair. You just don't. It's just, <laughs> they're, they're always evil in movies. So, but that, that's, that, that's one thing though, is like, I'm always, I'm like, I'm watching this stuff here and I'm just like, this guy's got one arm. Okay. I'm not going to sit there and say like people that are missing limbs or whatever, or like anything less or anything like that. But it's just like, why is this guy always like physically like owning Harrison Ford? He's got only got one arm. I'm just thinking, I'm like, I, I, I just, I, I'm always just kind of laughing at that. I'm like, you know, it's almost like child's play when you like watch like, you know, the, the, you know, the guy and he's overtaking adults. It's like, <laughs> come on here. I mean, there, I think, I mean, I'm not, like I said, you know, he's got to have a little bit of advantage here, but you're always being taken up by this guy. So it's always, well, that's the one thing I kind of laugh at here. There's, there's two things I can give you. One, he's, he's a pretty big dude. So he's, it's not like, you know, he's small. Now Harrison Ford's a tall guy, but he's not like a muscular guy. That's not what you think of Harrison Ford for. He's not ripped, you know, to, to whip anybody. Plus he's a big nerdy doctor. Plus this guy's an ex cop who lost that arm in the line of duty somehow. So you talk about just somebody who's tough and mean and look what he does for a living. He sets up quote security for the pharmaceutical firm. I'm like, he probably moonlights for the firm in Memphis that, you know, Wilford Brimley worked for with Tom Cruise too. But he's just that kind of, he's just a bad dude. Like I, I never once questioned that this guy with one arm was not even 20, 
twice as more dangerous <laughs> with that that prosthetic arm than he would be with two arms because he beats the crap out of everybody in this movie. It's not until uh, uh, you know he turns his back on Ford in the subway for a second that Ford's able to get the the drop on him and and wisely picks up the the poor dead subway cop's cuffs and cuffs him with his good arm to the rail and leaves him sitting there. I mean, that what a, what a great idea. I guess in a lesser movie, he probably would have like removed his hand and there was like a big blade in there or something. You know what I mean? Or <laughs> you're thinking about puppet master now. You, you've equated yeah. this guy to that. <laughs> or you know, even like <laughs> again, probably again, a lesser movie would have Richard Kimball like ripping the arm off and then using it as a club and like knocking him out with it or something. You know what right, I mean? But right. uh, they, they, they didn't go that way, which was, I guess, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm going to say disappointing, but it's you know. <laughs> Well, it's a good fight, though, but but it's a good inciting incident that gets us into the the climax of the movie because Gerard's right. He's like, man, a cop is dead from Chicago. Every Chicago cop is going to be shooting this guy the second they see him. There ain't going to be no bringing him in. Nobody's going to listen to him. He's going down. And this is when you realize on rewatch that Gerard believes him already. He already does, and he's got to get to him before the Chicago PD does because he knows what they will do to him if they yeah. get there first. Because, look, and rightfully so, police departments get really pissed off when one of their people gets killed. Like, they really, really do. And that's the worst thing you want to do is be in their way when they are on the hunt for the alleged perpetrators. I mean, it, a lot of bad things can happen if you get in the way of that steamroller when it's coming at you. And Gerard knows that. One thing that I wanted to bring up to kind of go back in earlier in the movie, which I guess maybe in like the 2020 sensibility of, you know, 24-7 news and everything that goes on in the world, was when Richard Kimball was running away and and they were chasing after him. And then remember his foot gets caught in the glass yeah, or in the yeah. sliding door. And Tommy Lee Jones goes for the kill shot multiple times on him. And I was kind of like, whoa, he's an unarmed guy and he's running away and you're going for that shot as he laced there and that was just one of those things where i'm like oh boy if that you know especially you know today's climate it's like well that might not uh might not sit well especially in a public area you know yeah, he's I mean? running through the hospital and he gets behind the bulletproof glass and, and, yeah. and that's that it's just amazing that he got behind that because er's have those for specific reasons you think gerard would know that too by the way but he he fires on him and multiple times like you say it doesn't get him so yeah that that that's before he i think completely starts believing this guy and right after that it's when he gets convinced of it but we get our final showdown here though and i gotta say um i I do like harrison ford's little grandstand at the uh, medical conference because it's always good to embarrass somebody in front of their their peers uh, because that's a good way to get your way and then they have like this knockdown drag out old man fight um, up on that ceiling and I love how when they fall into the, the little glass thing they don't immediately action movie style go straight through it the glass has to break and then they fall through it and uh, it was just a, a little hint of realism there that the director added in that I appreciated oh yeah totally and then uh you know they got to find a way to like you know eliminate like Joey Pant guess for whatever reason they got some extrusion or some like uh beams hanging from a you know, a, oh, some I, I can actually explain. Or I can actually explain why that is there. That is there to carry those heavy pieces of laundry and give them give it oh, weight, okay. so you can slide that across the floor and it stay on track instead of running all over the place. So you hook it up on both ends of that I beam and you slide it, and the I beams sliders and weight carry the weight of that cart down the track. That's what that's for. That's actually a real thing. I've seen that in facilities. 
Okay, so basically it's just like it's a suspended conveyor belt. Basically. Exactly. That, that is all that is. But but it, I, how is Joey Pants walking around at the end? Of this? Well, he's not. I guess he gets gurneyed out. But how is he alive? That would have killed him, man. Because yeah, like, Nichols slings that I-beam at him at, uh, at 20 miles an hour. Yeah, there's no way the human skull can take that. <laughs> I mean, that would have like really been, you know, yeah. I, I If – He'd at least be in a coma with brain bleeding by the time they got him. Not yeah, he's for he's not talking and dropping quits on the way to the hospital about taking vacation like that. Yeah, that, your 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 orbit your orbital bone is completely shattered, and possibly your eyeball is like floating around in your sinus cavity during that time. So yeah, yeah but again, they got they got they got to be able to you know if we can go with that. I mean whatever i mean it's it's a small little thing at the end it's obviously too like his his mouth is not moving when they pull him on that gurney that's an overdub line because i'm sure in test screenings they're like did did cosmo die everybody likes cosmo he can't can't die i'm sure they're like you gotta come loop a line joe because people think you're dead (laughs) well totally because i i noticed that too because he's getting he's getting out and then he says something i'm like his mouth totally didn't move at all so totally overdubbed but yeah you got to give the little you got to get the little thing about you know is he alive is he dead or something like that so yep funny little joke makes him alive so but you know again though we're going to get the almost kind of the reverse thing of the water um fall scene at the end right here where tommy lee jones again has the gun pointed at him and richard kimball then you know comes in and ends up knocking with the pipe and killing you know not killing him but knocking the guy out and saving his life and kind of you know two times now he could have let him die or been killed and he saved his life so it's a kind of kind of a i don't know i wouldn't say poetic but just kind of a nice little uh you know circle around to what's been going on with the movie especially with richard kimball just being an all-around good guy so (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, we have that great, great end, too, where he – I love Jones's lines here. He's looking at him going like, I need a nap. <laughs> I'm glad this is over. Aren't you, you know, at all? I, I found that to be really humorous and and well-placed in a movie that there's been a ton of tension. Let's kind of cut that tension with just a little bit of sarcasm here at the end. And then we, we do get a little coda end here where, you know, like you say, the news have descended on all of this and the cops are still like, Hey, we still convicted last we heard yada, yada. And they're leading Kimball out in handcuffs. But the minute Gerard gets him in that car, he uncuffs him, throws the cuffs away. And I, you know, they had that great last night. I was like, I thought you didn't care. Oh, I don't. And then they laugh and just stride off into the to the night. And I'm like, man, that's going to be a heck of a report that Gerard has to file. And it's going to take a few months to undo everything Richard Kimball just just did and what's been yeah. done to him. But uh, Regardless of all that happening, he's still going to jail until they get it figured out. You know what I mean? It's, he's going to a holding not, cell. Like I think the marshals yeah. are like, we'll hold him down here in our office and he can just kind of hang out. We'll sort this stuff out. And then, yeah. Yeah. Oh no, he's definitely, you know, he's not gonna let him go back to the Chicago PD. Cause he knows what's going on down there, but. The, yeah. And then, and then of course there's going to be other stuff too. I mean, if you want to get like real world here, it's like, okay, you were there at a hospital. You were, you don't have a doctor's license anymore. You were altering doctor's records. I mean, there's, there's things that they could probably get them for if they want to be jerks. So hopefully they wouldn't do that, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it, it's a feel good moment at the end, but it's like, Oh, there's about six months more worth of paperwork <laughs> and stuff to go through. He's not, he's not going home that night. He's got a few more, at least another week in holding cell until they get this whole thing taken care of. Because even if they would, I mean, they got to sit there and try the other guys and get everything. And that that's the whole thing is that, you know, I, 
based upon probably the way it is, is that the one-armed man probably is going to quickly turn on Nichols once he gets in there to try to save his butt as much as he can. You know what I mean? To oh, completely. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah that, you know. that guy's going to flip. Yeah. Especially being a former cop, they're going to be like, look, we make this real easy for you, Sykes. You flip, you do a nickel, you know, yada, yada. And because they're not going to, I mean, Kimball's like, hey, I'll testify. I'll testify. And the cop's like, no, you just, doc, you just stay over there. Also, the humdinger of the lawsuit that <laughs> Richard Kimball now has against the Chicago uh, Police Department. Yeah. That, I mean, he's going to be a doctor, but wow, he's going to get a little Seldman out of that. Yep. And, you know, Nichols will probably get the death penalty and everything like that since Richard Kimball had it. So, you know, it's, yep. It's, but again, though, stuff that we don't need to see. And, and like I said, it ends on a feel good note and everything. And I'm glad it ended there. You know what I mean? The, the movie's, it's a long movie. It's over two hours. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and it's just at that point, I mean, you got kind of the cliched 90, you know, going to fight on top of the uh, building. Kind of reminded me of Dark Man a little bit. And, uh, yeah. You know, but it's like I said, it's a good ending. And I like it that they end on the joke and everything like that as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a good light moment. And like we say, we're, we're sitting there talking about all the real world stuff that happens thereafter. But Richard Kimball, once this story gets leaked, and Gerard's people will probably leak it to help him. Once this gets leaked to the press, he's going to be a hero. He's going to be doing Dateline. He's going to be in all kinds of stuff. You know, and what's going to happen to that pharmaceutical company? You know, oh, what the, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wouldn't even talk about that. Like, the, Nichols not only kills Campbell's wife, which I got a question about that in a sec, but he kills the head of the pharmaceutical company who's also figured out that these results are bogus. I mean, this guy is like a mafia hitman. He, he's a don. Oh yeah, he totally he totally fit in during the the meeting of the five families and good you know and uh, God, the Godfather. It's like, yeah, you know, we gotta, you know, we're just gonna let the uh, we're gonna let the poor people take this drug anyways. They have no souls. So, you know, that's pretty, that's like pretty that. much what he's saying at, at this point, right? And yeah, you got that whole bit. But I gotta ask you this: so Nichols has the the head of the pharmaceutical place killed. We meet that guy at the party, and there's a couple of flashbacks with him, but he he has Kimball's wife killed instead of having Kimball killed in like a random mugging. Wouldn't that be more believable? Why kill his wife and set him up? That seems wicked elaborate just to try to get him out of the way. I think he was still intending to kill him. I think he was just going to kill them both. And I think it was just Richard wasn't home on time. Oh, good and point. I, yeah. I, I think it was just, he killed her and it just kind of was, it happened the way it happened. I think it just kind of happened perfectly with her, like, you know, kind of on her, you know, as her brain's expiring, kind of hearing Richard come in that, you know, she's trying to warn him and how it comes off almost as a confession or uh, whatever for him. So it's just, I think it was more of they wanted to kill him and probably have him killed, you know, have, have that guy kill them both look like a botched, you know, robbery or something like that. But it just ended up turning out that way. And I think in the end too, they're probably like, Hey, this works even better because now this guy's a, known killer and everything like this so no one's gonna believe a word he says right i mean he does show up you're right before sykes can get out of there and or you know finish him off and you know we talked about how sykes beats the crap out of him but kimball gets the best of him enough to knock him down the stairs and that's how he gets mm-hmm. away and then you know everything goes down from there but you're right i mean it, it worked out well but you're probably right they were going to kill uh kill them both there at that point but you yeah know, because hey. you know you kill her first and then the guy walks in and sees his wife dead right there and as his back is turned strike him down i mean it's probably something like that it it didn't need to work out that way because everything if that had gone that way we wouldn't have this cool movie so now we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts recommendations and popcorn ratings so what are yours for the fugitive oh it's a solid large popcorn i think it's a it's a really fun movie i think it's kind of a 
cool little callback to the 90s i mean it's it's very 90s with a lot of stuff like you're saying like with the uh, technology and lack of dna and all that fun stuff but i think it's a it's a really solid thriller and kind of like we said you know with like ford versus ferrari and everything like that where it's just like man i, I kind of wish we'd get more movies like this i do appreciate the fact that you know you know stuff like 24 and everything like that you know the shield you know justified comes out and these things that could have easily been you know early 90s movies are being more spread apart over four or five seasons of tv but it would be nice to kind of start getting more you know adult thrillers you know dramas like this back in the theater but uh to this movie though yeah like i said it's it's a solid large popcorn really really fun movie and probably one i'll you know i'll revisit again probably you know you know sooner than later yeah, I'm going to join you. It's definitely large popcorn. There's parts of it that don't entirely hold up because of the tech now and it is so dated and we've come so far in almost three decades now of, of phone technology and stuff. And if you put this in the cell phone era, it would be a completely different movie, but it works for what it is. And like we've talked about, it's neat to see adult drama thrillers with actors that can carry it. And I don't mean just our two leads, Ford and Jones here. I mean, everybody, everybody in this is so well cast. They play their role, even down to the smallest things, Jane Lynch and Julianne Moore and their small roles are, are great in them. And they deliver performances that allow you to forget you're watching actors and you're, you're actually watching these characters come to life. And a lot of that, I'm going to say goes to the director. I think Andrew Davis did a bang up job directing this thing. and. I mean, it was it was a hard task to try to follow that. That was a super popular show, and they made a movie that has stood the test of time and will continue to do so. So I agree with you. Large popcorn all the way and a ton of fun. And glad we got a chance to revisit it here on Filmstrip. Totally. All right, folks, you can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com, as well as the feeds to everywhere you can subscribe and download the show, Google, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, you name it, we're there. You can also follow the show's social media at Pod on Twitter and Instagram and Filmstrip Podcast on Facebook. We appreciate your support very much. And until next time, for Nick, I'm Jay. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.